Welcome to the Deerland Podcast. It's episode number 10. I'm your host, Mike Boley. We're here at Boley Farms today, and I'm joined by the one and only Tyler Sellens. How are we doing, Tyler? I'm doing well. Yourself, Mike? I can't complain, I guess, other than it is cold as can be, windy as all get out, muddy, it's been raining, can't really get out and do much right now, so... Mother Nature just will not give up this year. No, she will not. She is uh, on a mission, and uh, we have been getting lots of precipitation in all forms. I just checked uh, my field view app this morning, actually, and uh, for the year, we're at 2.6 inches of rain, which is actually just two-tenths of an inch behind uh, our 10-year average. So it seems like it's been a lot, a lot of rain, and it has been a lot, but... I've got a theory on this that I think these last few years it's been so darn dry that we forgot kind of what a an average type of amount of rainfall is. Um, well, and and part of that I look at my pond. Uh, it was completed in July, end of July, beginning of August, two thousand sixteen. Was that? Yeah, and. It was it was dry as a bone for a long time. I mean, that thing just wouldn't fill. I mean, it was kind of a joke between you and I that, you know, this pond just was a, 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 a wash. I still say you should have just made it a food plot. Well, you know, there are times that, still I, out there. that I wondered, you know. But right now, um, it is full. And I, I'm not so sure as I didn't have some water running through the overflow pipe today for the first time. I'm not positive. It was darn close. So... That's been a goal of mine is to see water run through that overflow pipe. So uh, this winter, I mean, it filled up October, I think. It got pretty darn full. We had a lot of rain in August and then some in October, and she filled right up. And uh, it stayed pretty darn full all winter. So that's a good sign. I still think I have a small leak, um, but nothing nothing major. So, uh, But anyways. Speaking of ponds. Yeah. You know, uh, this cold weather we've had has made it a great opportunity for, uh, I guess, myself and my dad to rebuild a dock. Um, you know, we've we've had a dock on a pond down in uh, our farm in Missouri. And and what's the, it, it's named after your grandmother, isn't it? It was. Called, it's called Lake Laverne. Lake Laverne. Uh, I couldn't remember. I, I, man, i got to remember what year that was built. 95 comes to mind, I think. Um, just named it after her and, and uh, had the guy down the road build it. And, and what what'd your dad tell me? That he had some inheritance money and, you know, needed to figure out what he wanted to do with it. Yeah. He thought, what better way than to build a, a body of water that he can always think of his mom and, you know, it can pass on for generations and a, the gift that can keep on giving, I guess. That's exactly what it is. And we, uh, you know, the docks we've had on there, we've, we've got uh, – We've got two. It's about three-quarters of an acre, roughly. Um, but but one of the docks on there was actually an old deck off of somebody's house that they had, you know, just gotten rid of. I think it was, you know, an eight-by-eight eight or, you know, six-by-eight. It wasn't very big. And something that uh, Buddy and I, we kind of cobbled together one time, tried to drive some post in the water when it was, you know, weighed out there and do it. And it worked for the time being, but it it's uh it seen seen its better days. The walkway going out to it was getting rotten and and just needed to be replaced. And so uh, last year, this idea had kind of popped in my head that you know while I was sitting on the on the pond ice fishing, I thought, man, this is a this is a great opportunity with the ice to use a level surface or somewhat level surface. You know, still make sure uh, you know get your four foot level out, but just opportunity to, be able to walk around drill holes in the ice with an ice auger and then pound your post in the ground and uh last year about the time we didn't have ice on for a long time last year about the time i kind of thought of it when we were down there and it, it couldn't have been less than a week later the ice you know went went to crap and so this year i i uh i told dad i said we need to do that and we've had ice on the water for what six weeks now probably long time I, yeah. I mean it's S- been some good ice we've too. had good ice so we've been able to get out there and just you know, go out and square things up, drill holes, make it what you want, walk around it. It's made it really enjoyable. Um, you know, we went and got a – dad went down to the junkyard the day and got a uh, – found something they cut off that would work for a post-pounder. I think it weighs like 88 pounds or something like that. So he gets on one side, I get on the other, and we just start pounding posts into the mud and, you know, get him in there three and a half feet or something like that and got a couple across the front. And so we got the main part of it built, got uh, half the walkway. We're going to have a 26-foot walkway going out to the dock. 
Um, so we put it on in deeper water than it has been in the past. So um, I'm kind of excited about that. It's big enough to get more than one person on there casting a lure or something like that. The old one, you, you've been on it, Mike. You yeah. Know, if if uh, if you got it's somebody, a one it's a one man gig. Yeah. Me, me and your dad fished it a couple times together, and if and it paying, is it's it, a rodeo. If for you're sure. paying attention, you're fine. It's big enough now. We can get out there and and uh, you know two people can fish off of it and not worry as much about hooking the other guy. And and uh, the thing I didn't like about the old one was is I couldn't dangle my feet over the edge without getting my oh. getting my boots wet. Yeah. When the pond was full, so I made a point to make sure that I can sit down and swing my feet. They might just barely touch the water, but. That was kind of one of the goals too. Dad and Dad wanted, and I wanted, and so I'm looking forward to. Uh, we probably got another day's work to finish that one up, and if the ice holds holds uh, holds out and and stays good, we've got uh, we've got one other uh, dock over by the uh, the spillway where the pipe goes out, and uh, I think we're just going to build just kind of a six foot wide, twenty foot. It's right on the dam, so the water drops off deep pretty quick. Ponds, it's probably twenty twenty one feet deep when it's wow. full, so. Um, you know, that, that's kind of well. I said, let's get one done then do the other. But, uh, you know, I think it kind of seems backwards this time of the year to be building a dock for your, uh, uh, for your pond and the water when it's all froze. But, you know, for anybody listening out there, if you're ever thinking about building one, if you want a floating dock, you can do that any time of the year. But, you know, if you want to pound post and do that sort of a thing and your, your pond's already established. and Yeah, you, you either do it before it fills up or you do it on the ice, I think, is your best bet. Yeah, I I, I mean, I used to work for a guy, and we did uh, – we built a pond there one summer, but he built the pond built the pond, and then built the dock before the pond filled up, so we were able to just drill holes with the postal digger and, you know, do it that way, walk around and build it. But um, th- this way worked out well. So just keep that in mind for anybody that – ever wants to build a stationary dock that uh, wintertime with good ice is always a, a great opportunity to do that because you can get around your project and you don't lose any tools. Um, it's true. I would I would probably have to say that if we were doing this, we'd have probably lost something, whether it be a hammer or a drill or, you know, bits or something like that would have got dropped in the, in the pond. So just been a good little project to do and i'm looking forward to uh fishing off of it and and more importantly taking uh, my son spencer and taking him down there and catching some more fish this this summer so he enjoyed that last year and and uh get his mom and him down there and yeah i got uh i got Riker new fishing pole last year and then never got him out to go fishing so we need to make maybe we'll make a day of that some afternoon we'll take the kids down and see if they can't pull anything out of the water you know, but speaking of docks, that's something I'm going to have to be thinking about as well, what I want to do. I don't know that I want to do the the stationary thing for a couple of reasons, um, but one of them being that I got a lot of rock out here, and I don't want to be trying to pound these, you know, four before posts into the, the ground and start hitting rock and stuff without being able to get them deep enough. So I may go with uh, with a floating type. Um, you know, as I said before, I used to be a big boater, and I had uh, pontoons, tritunes as was my boat of choice. And there for a while, I got into the stretch of buying old ones and stripping them down and then reselling them for people to use as docks. It was a pretty lucrative business at the time if you could find the right ones, and that really got me thinking as well. I mean, even if a guy just uh, did a 20-footer, you know, a pontoon boat's 8-foot wide, 20-foot long. That's a pretty good-sized dock, mm-hmm. um, pretty stable. Um, so that's an option as well. I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess the first step is going to be let's go through the year, make sure I can keep decent water in the pond. I am going to throw some fish in it this spring, um, and that's probably something on a different episode we'll kind of hit on a little bit is some some fishing. Um, actually, I wanted to get a buddy of mine on. Alex Nagy is the director of the Twisted Cat Outdoors Fishing Tournament Trail. Um, and he's doing some big things with that. So um, we might have him on someday um, soon and uh, talk about his upcoming season and just talk about some fishing in general. And um, again, we do it all around here. It's not just deer hunting. I think that Twisted Cat, I think that uh, the first tournament kicks off their first part of March, if I remember right. Yeah. I saw something on Facebook the other day he posted. And yep. I think that, he's uh, got eight or nine. Eight or nine tournaments listed for the year. Um, sea Arc has donated a new boat. Uh, Suzuki Motors donated a motor, so they're going to give a, a, a brand new Sea Arc boat away uh, throughout the season. Um, I mean, it's doing big things with it. So I'll be happy to to get him on, and him and I go back way back. And uh, I remember 
it's probably been five or six years ago, um, they brought that tournament to Nauvoo, and he wasn't running it at that time. Uh, another couple was, but he had put me in contact with him to figure out some logistics. And uh, then I think it was that next year Alex took it over, and he's really, really taken off with it and uh, doing a great job of um, promoting catfishing in general. So we'll have him on uh, sometime in the near future. I was just texting him last night, told him I wanted to have him on the show. So, um yeah, we're going to talk about some fishing, yeah. Um, turkey season is not far off. Um, actually, we're sitting here in my man cave on the couch, and I've got my, my lynch box call, my foolproof one-on-one box call sitting here. And me and the son, we've been doing a little practicing on that. And um, Well, if you're in uh, fortunate enough to live in South Florida, be in South Florida this this weekend was uh, the first – First uh, youth season down there, so for anybody, I saw a couple couple kills on uh, on social media that came across just for some kids for the youth season. I think uh, their uh, their official opening season is uh, next weekend. I it? think it's next weekend, and then uh, if you're north of there's a road down there that splits the seventy or something. I think. Yeah, I don't remember what it is, but splits it. We we hunt north of it, and and uh, their youth season I think is the ninth and tenth. Uh, I think that's right, and then the following weekend, around the 16th, is is opening weekend. So, looking forward to. Uh, we'll probably be down there the weekend of the 20. I think it's the 23rd of March. I hope. Um, be down there chasing some, chasing some Osceolas. So, um, always always a uh, good way to kick off turkey season in March. Um, go down there and do that. And looking forward to the trip. I'm not looking forward to the drive. No, no, but the drive's a haul, but. It, uh, it's part of it, man. Yeah, I mean, there, it's it's actually it's not that bad. It could be a lot worse. So, but yeah, and then it'll it'll kick off. I think our season opens uh, sixteenth, maybe yeah, that 15th, Monday. Yeah, it's a Monday. Illinois, and, uh, Illinois, and Missouri both starting the same day again this year. Yeah, which, we just we just figured that out. We had that last year, and um, so the Sellens family camp is in missouri and uh, so we do turkey camp every year and i've only been coming for the last three or four years but it's been a a long-standing tradition to uh to have uh, a little get together and shindig the sunday night before missouri's opener and typically as a rule that is one week before illinois opener but here we that, are typically illinois always opened a week ahead of missouri is the way it's always been in the oh past. really yeah. okay you know because you could hunt illinois for the week and then uh, you know, it was always Brent. He would have uh, he'd have second season, and he always takes off, you know, opening day and just goes with me, um, just tag along. But he would uh, have to. He was always hopeful to get his bird killed on Saturday or Sunday of Illinois. Yeah, that way he could go down and go to turkey camp and not have to get up and come back to Illinois or back to Illinois and hunt. But I see. It's uh, you know, it's always it's been a tradition for. Man, I remember back uh, j- just when I was a kid. You know, it was in Dad and, and those guys. They they started it before, I think, probably before I was born. So, you know, it's been going on 35 years plus. Um, you know, I remember back in the day, you get a, a a pickup and get a topper on it and back two of them up and flip up the the lids on them and put the tailgates down and stretch a tarp and cook and in uh, camp have a good time, sleep in the back of the truck, just. Uh, you know, Dad's got a lot more memories and stories of that with with uh, a lot of his friends and you know Gary and Bill and and uh, you know Gary smart dad, smart and and, and uh, Gary's dad Ernie he'd always come down and and just he'd come down and camp and cook and listen and just have a good time. So uh, it's it's changed a lot. The uh, you, you know we used to it's evolved from what it used to be as far as the accommodations. Right. Uh, yeah. It, you know that's turned into. Uh, you know, a second second home for my parents down there anymore, and um, you know the the cabin and campsite and you know fire pit and all that. But it's still the good good times that a lot of people make it a point that they're there on turkey camp just to come down and camaraderie and fellowship. And I enjoy that. You know, to me that's that's uh that's ninety percent of turkey season right there. So yeah, and it's it's also kind of a you know a new generation. You know, most of the people that are there. Are, your friends and you know people our age you know there's still some few old timers that show up but you start looking around as far as numbers go and you know there's a a lot of people in their 30s there Um, yeah the mid mid 30s to you know we're all that mid 30s to you know some of us yeah mid to late 30s anymore and and i guess i probably think back to when i probably started going down there that that's probably the age of a lot of people 
then yeah that we're going and it's a new you know a a, a new group of people a new generation coming and you know dad i mean there's still some of the guys but not all of them are still with us there and others have you know went their other ways too and got their own farms and enjoy that but you, you know i'd love to at some point or another have anybody that was ever there come down and just have another uh you know whether it's uh old bill gowdy yeah yeah get hopefully bill, get bill gowdy back. down there and smart and dad and you know get uh, uh gary stopped too and it was always a something i look forward to it uh you know we all sit here and talk about the the stories of turkey hunting and this and that and you know i've got a lot of i've probably forgotten more turkey kills than than i remember but um i got a lot of good memories there of just getting together and enjoying that but well and, and something else i mean as we've talked about when you had your dad on um he's a retired cop um and a lot of these guys that we're referencing are are former cops as well or in the the justice system probation mm-hmm. officers or whatever but mostly cops at one time and they all just got along with one another feral um you know, he who has passed on and enjoyed hanging out with one another. And that is something that has changed. I mean, here I am. Um, I'm a cop now. And uh, we all get along for the most part, but we don't we don't hang out like that. I mean, there's some smaller groups here and there, you know, a couple, two or three. But I think back in the day, I mean, there was, you know, 10 or 12 guys that were always together hunting and fishing and hanging out. And um, there's just, some of those guys that still get together. Yeah. And dad went to a little fish fry the other day with some of them and just. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, dad, dad, uh, uh, and I might be wrong on this story, but I think this is, you know, I think Bill Farrell is the one that got my dad started into turkey hunting. So um, from what I recall, that's correct. Da- yeah. Down in Missouri, and, and I see some old pictures. Down by the farm. Yeah, right in that area. I mean, that that's where their, their original camp, I think, was, you know, you'd head a, a mile down the road back west and then go north probably two miles where the original uh, camp was, but... I think that place had sold, so they had to find a different spot and then wound up here. And, you know, I, I can look back and see some old photos and photo albums and stuff of, of uh, you know, dad in the middle of the road taking a picture of a turkey and you look in the background and where the cabin is now and everything looks completely different than what it used to back then. But, you, you know, I mean, that's that's evolution too, the way, you know, thing times have progressed and, and uh, you know, brush grows up. and But, you know, it's been for the, for the betterment. Um, you know, I'm I'm glad Dad got me into the sport of turkey hunting. It uh, thing I love about it is, is it's a I'll call it kind of a community hunt if you want it to be. You know, like when we go to Florida, it's you know one guy tags out, nobody sits around camp. You, you right. know, I mean, it's everybody's. I, I've seen it probably scare me to know how many Osceolas I've seen get shot just because that's just you know you get tagged out and you go with the next guy and if somebody's still got a tag at, left at you mean. The, yeah the the very last guy he's probably usually got three or four or half a dozen people tagging along behind him to kill that last bird just to go in and get in on it and enjoy it but it's well uh, and i'm i'm still pretty new to the turkey hunting game um i think it was 2015 when you took me for that first hunt um so i've been doing it uh four years this will be my fifth season um and do a lot by myself. You and I go out a few times. I mean, then me, you, and your dad have been out uh, a few times and and had some fun. But it is it makes uh makes a little bit different when you're not out there by yourself. When you've got another person with you, you know, especially if you've got some difficult birds, um, to have somebody else that can call that can maybe move and you know go back behind you to make them think you know make that gobbler think that is the hen's going the other way maybe um, to have a, a second set of opinions of you know how to set up and especially with like you and I. I mean me being really new and inexperienced um well i'm a little gung-ho once in a while running gun oh yeah but that's just how i mean i i'm not one to want to just i'm not going to go sit next to one tree all day and just wait on them if they're there you know i've got other things i can do too no and i'm the same way i mean if i'm sitting there and i'm not hearing any goblin i mean i'm not going to sit out there all day you know um it is a good opportunity though to if you're not hearing any goblin to catch up on some sleep well, that's no kidding either. I mean, you know, you get out there and, and it gets daylight and, you know, you can't hear a bird anywhere. You might as well go back and take a nap. I mean, um, or in my case, I usually just go to work. But I always just take the nap in the woods. And- well, and I've done that too. And, you know, you wake up and all of a sudden, you know, you've been there for a little while and that sun's repositioned and just beating down on you. And- wake up sweating. Yep. I've done that. I remember uh, a season in Missouri, I, I had some birds out in the field and there was this little island of trees out there yet. and They went out behind it and. This is this day and age. I I would have got grabbed the uh, grabbed the full strut decoy and been out there with them. But 
back then it didn't have that and it really wasn't a wasn't a thing back then and I remember those birds were out there you could hear them gobbling off in the distance and they'd went out and I knew eventually they'd have to come back and that same scenario was I'm sitting there next to a tree and sun was beating down on me and I'm getting comfortable and warm and next thing I know I wake up to a a, a long beard at I don't know 10 yards or less directly in front of me facing me full strut and gobbled I woke it startled me I shook and woke up and turkey saw me and it was all over with but it was a funny hunt but it makes you wonder you know deer hunting deer deer don't come in gobbling like turkeys do it makes you wonder how many of them have walked by when you've been getting a little <laughs> siesta in you know um i always like to think that nothing comes by but man there are in out in the field there are just certain times where it just feels too good and you just take a little nap i mean you mm-hmm. just get comfortable and uh, especially like turkey season. I mean, 2017, I didn't kill a bird, had landowner tags, and I hunted the whole season, every single day. I think I missed one day, but I was out every night trying to roost birds. I was up every single morning, and and I'm I'm not really a morning person. I mean, they're not horrible, but I'm not one of those guys that gets up at 5.30 every morning and has coffee and watches the news and does stuff. I mean, uh, that's just not really my thing. But in turkey hunting, you're getting up at 4.30 in the morning or so. Uh, you know, the time obviously changes as as the season goes on. But And I'm, I'm lucky that I just walk right out my back door and, you know, usually within 150 yards is where I can stop and, you know, listen for gobbles. If I don't have one roosted, it's not very far. So I don't have to, you know, get stuff loaded up and drive. And um, But it still is early for me. Um, and after you do it 10, 15, 20 days in a row, I mean, it starts to wear on a guy um, quick. So, yeah, it does. But all it takes is that one gobble. Yeah, and you know, uh, <laughs> turkey season's coming up. But the, uh, the one thing we've got before turkey season uh march what is it ninth and tenth march ninth and tenth yep got shed rally the shed rally and um that is you know something that was created by and you know is kind of pushed by whitetail properties and as you know most of you know tyler is a, a whitetail properties land specialist um so we do try to push that um but even if that wasn't the case i mean it's it it's a good it's a good social media event um it's a good reason just to get people together get out, do some shed hunting, um, whether it be families or buddies or whatever it is. I mean, even though a lot of us have already been out and we'll be out a lot between then, still try to get out that weekend. I'm not going to be able to make it out on the Sunday, but that Saturday, I mean, that's that's my plan is to get out and do a lot of walking and um, try to find some sheds. I just picked up uh, a new property to look for them on, a neighboring property. So, um, and I picked up a little bit more uh, as well. So, you know, as the years have gone on, I'm, I bought this place almost five years ago. In May, it'll be five years. I didn't know anybody, um, didn't have access to anything other than my, you know, 35 acres. And then as times went on and you start to meet people, get to know people and, you know, get some permissions and uh, stuff like that. My my ground that I have access to to shed hunt or some of it to turkey hunt or deer hunt even is starting to get bigger and bigger. And so now I have more opportunity um, when you only have 35 acres to shed hunt. I mean, you can only walk around in the same circle so many times. Um, so I'm excited this year to, to really have some, some new ground that uh, I think the deer have been winter bedded on. Um, you know, been seeing them every night, you know, we know that they're there, so there's got to be some sheds back in there. So I'm excited to, uh, to get back there. Actually, I thought about going out this morning, but the wind's been blowing sustained like 35 miles an hour all night, um, gusting up to 45, 50 miles per hour. Um, them sheds aren't going anywhere. They'll be there this week. So, um, they're not going to walk off. No, they're not. You know, some squirrels might get to them, I guess, but I'm not going to go out and, uh, suffer to try to find a deer antler laying on the ground so you know and i think the other thing too about you know we talk about shed rally and and you know going shed hunting and getting out and it's a for one it's good exercise um the other thing is 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 you know it really gives a person an opportunity to get out if you'll you know take that time walk your property learn you're gonna learn something about your property when you're out there if you'll pay attention do go out and do more than just shed hunt, you know, make it a dual purpose. Your, your shed hunting is ultimately what you're there for, but it's a scouting trip too. You can get out, you know, see where the trails are, see what they've used. You can find rubs, you can find old scrapes, uh, bedding areas, you know, things like that, that, that you can kind of 
you know, fine tune your, your plans. Maybe you need to move a food plot a little bit. Maybe you need to, you know, man, I had my, my stand in this tree and I need to be, move it 15 yards closer to these other intersection of trails. And so it's, it's a good opportunity that, you know, you know, pay attention to when you're in the woods, it's not just looking for sheds. Cause I, I've inadvertently find myself that when I'm out shed hunting, I find myself doing more scouting than I am anything. Just, you know, it's like, man, I didn't realize that trail went there or this or that, or, you know, your property is ever evolving and changing with, uh, you know, with time and vegetation and trees and this and that. And maybe you did some habitat work, you know, if you did, if you did some hinge cutting or things like that to try to, you know, divert the deer or make them go where you want to go, you can see if that's worked. And, you know, cause a lot of times, especially with this, this fall we had, you know, in December, uh, you know, first November was even October, but first November was a little colder there. But. Yeah, mid October through you know November, I think November was like the fourth coldest ever on record, something like that here. And then December it got warm. But a lot of that stuff that those trails that deer were using were muddy trails. I yeah. mean, they are very obvious. And uh, you know, I mean, when when you see that, then that's going to help you fine tune. You know, what you're going to see for muddy trails this time of the year is not something that's been used in the last six weeks eight yeah. weeks because it's been froze and you know i mean you'll still see a little evidence of, of what they've been using but um you know use it to your advantage and you can kind of put a little bit of a uh figure something out about a buck too based on where you find the sheds maybe you find them in a food plot maybe you find them in the woods uh you know find them in find them in their bedroom too i mean it's a i've i've found sheds before where i literally walk up and it's like they were just bedded down and all of a sudden they just fell off you know, there's there's a match set laying side by side. So, you know, it, and it's funny that you say that. I have the same problem, whether it be when I'm shed hunting, uh, mushroom hunting, turkey hunting. I always find myself scouting for deer. And, you know, sometimes you need to be a little bit more focused on the task at hand because I, I literally, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, squirrel. You know, I just, I get sidetracked so easily. And now all of a sudden I'm looking for rub scrapes, trails, beds. Um, when I should be looking for mushrooms or sheds or, you know, turkey sign at that. But I just read an article last night, actually, uh, on TheMeatEater.com. It was written by Mark Kenyon from Wired to Hunt, and it was talking about how to become uh, a better shed hunter or a more efficient shed hunter. And it, it's one of those things that it, it makes so much sense. Um, but it's kind of the, the 80-20 principle, and if anyone that's had any economics uh, classes, you know, you'll understand that. But essentially, the layman term of it is, is you're going to find 80% of your return uh, through 20% of your work. So um, it's about being more efficient. So when it comes to finding shed antlers, uh, it's no big secret that the two places you're going to find them the most is where they're spending most of their time when their sheds are going, or when their antlers are going to be shedding. So that is you know, January to March, mid-December to mid-March, you know, somewhere in there. What are they doing? They're sleeping and they're eating and they're going in between. So the two main places to focus is to go to the bedding areas and to go to the food areas. And that's where you're probably going to find 80% of your sheds is in those two areas. And I think that is spot on. I mean, I know that the sheds I found this year, they've all been in in uh, food plots. And, and I've searched through the timber, um, some different trails and stuff, and I just haven't really found any yet. So I think I need to continue just trying to uh, find those bedding areas. And that's something that's uh, been tough for me as well is to really hammer down where the buck bedding is. I haven't been able to figure that out um, for sure. I've got a couple areas that I'm pretty sure uh, is buck bedding. Um, but again, on my farm, I don't have a lot of areas where mature deer um, call home. Uh, I've got some doe family groups, and you know, I know they're, they're close by. I just don't know exactly where they are. So now that I've got some more permissions to uh, do some shed hunting, I can kind of extend my search a little bit and hopefully get on uh, these areas that are buck bedding and try to find that. The food plots obviously are not, you know, the food sources aren't hard to find. I mean, it's either a food plot or, you know, an ag field. And uh, that's where I think a guy needs to spend a lot of his time. So if you're going to go out for a 10-hour hour day. That's what, a long time. That is. But, <laughs> that's a lot of walking. But just for, for mathematics' sake, you know, 
if you spend eight hours of that time in uh, the food plots and the bedding area and then two hours in uh, the rest, you know, you're going to find way more sheds than if you were to just aimlessly and not even aimlessly. Let's say you go out and you grid search. Um, you and I kind of had this talk about, you know, you say you had did that one year where you just try to cover every square inch um, and see what you can find. You're going to just be way more efficient. You're going to cover more ground. That's the problem that I'd had over the years is I just run out of time to to get everything checked. But I was trying to grid search the entire farm, and it needs to be find these suspected bedding areas, find the food sources, and then just get on a trail in between it and just walk them. Yeah, you're probably going to miss some, but you're going to get so many more high probability areas covered um, than you otherwise would. So that's the biggest thing. Try to get as many food sources covered as you can and as many areas that you believe to be bedding. Try to definitely get those checked. And then if you have some time left over, then, you know, maybe go for some other some other areas at that point. Yeah, I mean, if you've got all the time in the world and to get out and really grid search your farm and cover every square inch, that's good. But if you're, you know, if you're like a lot of people and you're limited on time that you have to dedicate to it and, you know, you've only got a couple of days or an afternoon or this or that, get out and, and hit the high points on it and check the more probable places and you're going to have, uh, you know, probably increased success and better spending your time in the right areas. But, so I did that last week. Um, you know, I, I had some areas that uh, I knew had to be some buck bedding. Um, I'd been seeing some mature deer from the last two years um, coming out into the field from this certain area pretty regularly, um, coming out in the evenings, going back in the morning. So I knew that within 100 yards or so of that spot, there had to be some form of, of buck bedding in there. So I, I went last weekend and just kind of focused on that area, and I did. I found a ton of bedding, uh, some areas that I'm pretty sure are buck bedding, um, just kind of at a point in this power line clear cut. You get all the way to the, to the end of it, and it kind of drops off. And, you know, they can sit there and, you know, go two different ways, you know, right or left or just go straight, uh, straight back the other way. Um, so they've got exit strategies. I mean, that's – that's the one thing when you're looking for buck bedding is, you know, they're not going to be somewhere where they pigeonhole themselves into a corner. Uh, you may see more of that with some doe bedding, uh, but you're probably going to see big circles, you know, several beds making more of a circle because there'll be six, seven, eight, nine deer there, and they can all just sit different ways and keep an eye on one another. But normally a buck, he's going to be better by himself. So he's going to sit somewhere where he can use the wind to his advantage. And then his eyesight, you know, for the other, the other side of that. And then he's going to want a way to get out of Dodge. If, you know, if something comes up, he doesn't uh, want to be stuck and only have one way out. So that's some, some other things to look at when you're trying to figure out where some of this buck bedding may be. And I did, I found some of it kind of in the area that I thought didn't find any sheds, but um, I'm still seeing some, mature deer holding antlers um seems like a lot of my young ones have dropped uh but uh been doing some uh glassing in the evenings and the deer have been coming out and uh seeing some uh you know two three four year old deer still still holding antlers so yeah i mean there there's a you know a good number of deer that have lost their antlers right now but i'm one of those people that i don't have you know a ton of time to dedicate to go out and look for sheds you know there was there was Shoot, it's been six, eight years ago, probably every bit of that. But I had, you know, every day after work, I'd just go out and walk a little section and, and more or less covered every square inch of a far, of the farms I could hunt. And I think that year I picked up like 40-some sheds, but I've not had the time to dedicate to it now like I did that year. Um, but, but I think if you've, you know, I mean, just go out and hit the high points. And that was one of those things that, you know, a lot of them it seems like I just stumble on them too. But I typically pick up you know, 12 or 15 sheds just out walking farms, showing farms, or at least find them and, you know, leave them on the porch of a lodge or something of guys that own the farm. But, um, you know, I, I enjoy it. Um, it is, I mean, it, it's nice to get out. Um, and then you just never know what you're going to learn. And that's what I've really enjoyed about it is just, uh, finding some good sign that you weren't aware about or finding a new trail and figuring out, Hey, this is where these deer are moving through here. 
um, that's that's something that I really enjoy about it. And something else, too, is I've got some areas that I pretty much just stay out of um, all fall. And I'm not going to technically call them a sanctuary because I will go in there. Uh, I'll go in there in the off season to do some work. I'll go in there to mushroom hunt, shed hunt, turkey hunt, stuff like that. But usually come uh, into September, beginning of October, I just kind of stay out of there. I used to try to hunt them. I was unable to do so very efficiently, so um, now I don't. But uh, what I found is is you come in there this time of year and you're going to find trees that have blown down or you know something has changed and uh, maybe that's going to divert what their travel is. So um, that's always something to keep an eye on. And if it's something that is uh to your detriment to have that blowdown or that changed uh, course of travel, you may want to look into, you know, getting out there in the off season and clearing it out and, you know, maybe uh, stacking the brush up in an area that uh, becomes more beneficial to you. So um, this time of year is just fantastic to, to do all sorts of things. I mean, get out, enjoy uh, the outside. I mean, especially for me that, guy that owns a farm, you know, spends a lot of money on it to, to be able to own it. You want to find as many ways as possible to actually get out and, and use it. Um, you feel like maybe you're getting your money's worth that way. I mean, if, if all that I did was just deer hunt and I did nothing else and I was worried about my deer, so I just only went out there um, 20, 30 times a year to, to try to kill a, a mature deer, I just don't feel that I'm getting a good return on my investment. So, um, I use, use the heck out of it, whether it be putting in food plots, doing habitat improvement, uh, squirrel hunting, uh, turkey hunting, shed hunting, mushroom hunting, um, anything that I can do to get out and use the land and, uh, get some money's worth out of it, I guess. So, uh, that's, that's something that I think people need to realize is, is sometimes we can get a little too hung up on, um, pressure and, you know, access and stuff like that. Um, during the season, yeah, you need to be cognizant of that, but man, don't be scared to use your land. I mean, uh, it's so good just for the soul. I mean, to get out there and be part of it, uh, the sights, the sounds, the smells, um, it's, it's, there's nothing better for me. I mean, than to get out there and, and get a good walk in for one. Um, and I'm always trying to learn something and usually, you walk for two or three hours, you're going to learn something, whether it be big or small. Um, you're going to walk out of there knowing something you didn't know before you went in there, and that's uh, that's a lot of fun for me. Yeah, I mean it's a uh, you know, I mean it's a scouting trip. It's a uh, I don't know. Well, there's been time. I'll tell you the frustrating thing about shed hunting sometimes, uh, not necessarily shed hunting, but I and I can think of a couple of deer over the years. Uh, farm I hunt just just uh, southwest of yours over here a little bit but I had pictures of that deer through the summer months through about the first of September velvet had fell off first of September that testosterone kicks in the start scraping a little bit rubbing and all of a sudden the deer's gone not one picture of him and then a buddy gets pictures of him south a couple miles has him all fall and then I go out and go shed hunting not had one more picture of that deer and then I stumble as I'm going through I, st- I walk up and I pick up one side off of him and I'm like it ju- it's just it just it kind of puts you, you kind of be able to uh, put some of the pieces of the puzzle together as far as where a deer's living or y- you know I mean you got trail camera photos and all of a sudden he's gone you know and, and if I didn't know the other guy and didn't show him some pictures he wouldn't realize that that's a deer that I had too and then all of a sudden he shows back up and here's a here's a shed or I fed deer that you know, pictures all year long, pick up a shed, and then next year, nothing. I don't know what happens to them. Sometimes they just... Well, I think sometimes they'll they'll relocate their home ranges for various reasons. Uh, maybe another buck has moved in and is a little more dominant. Um, but something I think you will see on a pretty regular basis is, you know, you'll have your summertime deer that uh, you're going to see in bachelor groups throughout velvet. Uh, and then once those antlers start hardening up and they start dropping that velvet, then they're going to disperse into more of their fall range, which could be you know, just the next hundred acres over, or it could be a mile and a half away. And there's still a good chance that you may see that buck pop through, you know, one or two cameras uh, throughout the rut. Uh, But for the most part, he has relocated his range all fall. 
But then when late winter comes, they kind of come back to their summer ranges and get settled back in. And, um, you know, they'll be there throughout the spring and mm-hmm. summer and, and repeat the whole process. So um, that's why I don't get too excited about uh, the pictures I'm getting through, you know, July, August, September as the, the deer are growing um, because you don't know what they're going to do. Now, sometimes you do have those deer that uh, grow their antlers on you. Um, they drop their velvet. They're still there all, all year. They just don't go anywhere. They're a homebody. You know, maybe their core has shrunk, you know, to 40, 50, 60 acres and they're comfortable in that area and they're just not going anywhere. Um, that's more the exception to the rule, but, uh, that does happen too. So I had that deer in Missouri this year. Same thing. I mean, that, that's exactly what, I mean, literally the neighbors of the South of me, they didn't have any pictures of him, but I mean, I've got hundreds upon hundreds of pictures of this deer and, and a lot of daylight photos and, just you know i mean i don't know i mean every deer is different but the shed hunting i think really helps put some more pieces of the puzzle together you know if if you're uh you know paying attention to you know trail camera photos and what you're seeing in the fall and you know where you're getting pictures of the deer and where you pick up the sheds and you know maybe what food plots they were using you're able to fine tune an area too and and uh you know may help you put a game plan together and and uh you know be more successful yeah, in, it, in the it's, fall. A, it's a never-ending learning process. And and sometimes I think some people can can gar-hole themselves when they think, all right, I've got this figured out. I know how the deer use this farm, and I know exactly what I need to do, and they stop learning. And it's not just with deer hunting. I think it's with a lot of professions and, you know, life in general is people get a little too confident sometimes. And about the time you think you've really got things figured out, you're going to get humbled, um, whether it be by, you know, a new coworker, uh, a deer, whatever it is. I mean, you have to realize that you're never going to know it all. There's someone out there that's always going to know something that you don't, and you need to always continue to try to learn. My big thing is knowledge is priceless, and, you know, I'm always looking to learn. That's like this podcast. That's why I wanted to do it, so we can sit here and talk. You know, we can get guests on. We can, you know, um, maybe teach somebody something, but then maybe we can learn something as well. So um, that's just what I enjoy about it, too, and I guess part of it is, is, you know, I got into it late uh, as an adult. You know, I didn't really start getting serious into this until – 2015 so I was 32 years old uh, which is awfully late for a lot of people but um, I think I was able to speed up my learning curve a little bit because I you know was older and had a little more life experience and uh, some more resources than I would have if I was a 16 year old but um, I don't think I'll ever get comfortable in hunting or the outdoors or anything I mean uh, I will always feel that uh, I've got a long ways to go to learn Um, you know even as the the amount of mounts start to kind of increase in my man cave here, and I have some some luck and some success. Um, I don't uh, I don't get uh, too confident. I'm not going to sit on my thumbs. Um, you know, this year here, I'm, I'm going into it the same way I did last year. That need to put a lot of work in um, and uh, a lot of time and, and effort. And uh, there's still no guarantees anything's going to happen. And I think if you can take that approach every year. Um, you will have some years like I had last year where I had a couple couple good bucks come in. So, um, you know, and also while you're out there, something that I've been doing is is I need to tweak a couple of my sets. Um, one of them just was pretty much a bust last year. Um, great spot, just not uh, not a safe place to hunt. The, the way that the draws run through there and the terrain change, no matter what wind you have, it's going to be a bad wind. Um, you know, it, uh, I had a, a due West wind, which should be perfect, you know, 15 mile an hour wind, but the way that the topography lays there, that wind was blowing due East right through there, just sucking right down in and, um, playing to the deer's advantage. So I need to refigure that set a little bit. Um, and then I had another spot that I, that I hunted for the first time this year, um, had a North wind spot and was very successful there. I didn't shoot anything, but um, that's not really how I gauge my success, but a lot of good sightings, uh, a lot of good deer movement when I wasn't in the stand uh, per the trail cameras. So I think I'm also going to go into that general vicinity and try to set up a different stand that is safe on a south wind. So in theory, I'll have uh, you know a place to sit on a north or a south. It's an area that is um, darn near bulletproof access, uh, as good as you're going to get for my situation anyways, easy to get in and out. Um, 
early season for sure. There's some uh, acorn crops around that seem to uh, draw a lot of the deer in early season. And then even when the rut gets up and going, uh, it's a good travel corridor. So um, that's some of the plans I've had. So even when I was out squirrel hunting or even shed hunting, I'm kind of scoping some trees out and getting some ideas of uh, maybe some spots to get a, get a stand hung. So um, it's always multitasking. I mean, again, we don't have all the time in the world. I mean, we all have uh, jobs and um, families and commitments. And um, so I want to make the most of my time that I do get to get to spend out there in, in the woods. So, um, yeah, just remember uh, shed rally, March 9th, 10th. Um, yeah, I think uh, t- take pictures, share photos on uh, social media, make sure you hashtag, uh, shed rally um it's a good time to to get out and participate and uh when you do so i think uh whitetail properties we're getting we have some giveaways too so yep there's gonna be some uh, prizes for check check social media for details on that and uh you know i encourage everybody to get out and and uh participate and take the family take the take friends uh you know make it a day and and uh just you know it's a good time to if anything get out of the house after this long winter and and uh get a little exercise and and uh enjoy yourself hopefully the weather straightens out and well, that's what i'm saying i mean you know there's a chance of snow of course we had snow turkey hunting last year flurries anyways <laughs> yeah. i mean it was freezing i i just was looking through some old pictures the other day in my uh in my phone and it i don't know if it was opening day i think it was opening day i'm out there in my cold weather gear my heavy camo turkey hunting and it was like you know april 16th or something like that so um i'm hoping we don't have a repeat of that now i don't need it to be like 80 either but i think a good uh a good morning um you walk outside and it's 45 46 47 degrees just a light breeze clear skies you know maybe going to get up to uh uh low 50s um you know by mid-morning that's that's just ideal to me bluebird sky and you know that light breeze and um that's a wishful thinking, Mike. Oh, but man. I hope it. Uh, I hope we get some of that. I'm ready for ready to get out and enjoy some warmer weather. But and I just need some vitamin D in me. I think. I mean, vitamin C, whatever. The vitamin C, maybe. I don't I think know. It's vitamin D. Well, yeah, vitamin D from the sun. That's what I need. I need some of that inside me. Get kind of perked back up. Of course, I I have two uh, little kids. One's two and one's three. Going on four. And they seem to be snot-nosed all fall long and winter long. And um, so you don't ever feel like you're 100%. Uh, there's always something something going on. And the weather hasn't helped that at all either. So um, I'm ready for some good weather to get outside and get in the sun and um, do a little sweating. Um, and, again, you know, it's shed season now. Take advantage of that. Uh, and then before you know it, it'll be turkey season and mushroom season. And, you know, that's, again, that's something I really love is mushroom hunting. And, and then it's, uh, it's food plot season and, uh, land management season and all that good stuff. So, uh, I believe, uh, next week's episode will probably be on some food plot, uh, information, some tips and tricks, and at least some of, uh, our experiences of, of things that we've found. And, um, you know, we've kind of, we've kind of, jumped into some projects ourselves over the last you know few years and um kind of learned some things the hard way or some trial and error and you know we're still fine-tuning our our uh our process but um, we had a great year last year um, with some new food plots so um, we're just wanting to pass some of that uh, experience on to you Um, take it for what it's worth we're not saying that how we do things is the right way um, but it's something that uh, works for us or maybe it didn't work for us and we're telling you that uh, maybe don't try this trials and tribulations it is so learn learn from our uh, learn from our mistakes and uh, you know pass it on to 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 the listeners of the do's and don'ts and uh you know comment to let us know things that that work or don't work or um you know we're glad to share that or you know any information anybody's got too so everybody's i'm always learning something from uh uh you know from clients of just getting out visiting with them and they'll tell you things they've done and you know we get to visiting things like that and they'll pick up on something and i'm like man i didn't realize that you know or just just always be you know always keep your ears open and uh be willing to learn because um Again, yeah, somebody else may have a better way of doing it. I mean, uh, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So, um, you know, if you can stay open-minded about uh, other 
methods of operation, then uh, maybe you can be a little more efficient or have a little more success in whatever it is you're trying to do. And, you know, social media is, is a great thing for that. I had made an Instagram post the other day uh, talking about my beans and uh, interceding, you know, some, some greens inside them and just had some, you know, random guy ask me about, you know, kind of what I was doing and how to do it. And, um, and again, I will, I will pass on everything that I know, but I'm not going to tell you that it's the right way or the best way, but it's my way and uh, it has worked for me. So um, luckily with the advent of the internet, there's a ton of, a ton of information out there. Um, We, uh, we encourage you to, to try to get that, you know, but you also have to be careful because just as this podcast is, you know, anybody that has a little bit of technology um, experience, they can uh, go out and buy some equipment and record a podcast and tell you how to do something. And uh, maybe they know what they're doing. Maybe they don't. So you, you got to try to vet uh, where you're getting your information from a little bit. I try to be straightforward with mine. I mean, I am new. I don't have a lot of experience in a lot of this stuff, but I've always been willing to experiment. I've got some great friends around me that uh, do have a little bit more experience and have kind of helped me. Um, but I'm not this, you know, seasoned veteran that uh, has all of this uh, years of experience to rely on. But this is what I'm doing. This is the results I'm seeing doing it this way. You know, here's some of the things I'm looking at change. So, um, that's what I'm wanting to tell you. We're the the everyday average guys. We're uh, we're not uh, not the best at anything, but we are uh, we are passionate about what we try to do, and we want to learn, we want to teach, and we want to have better habitat for uh, for the lands that we uh, that we walk across. So stay tuned uh, for the next episode. Again, uh, hoping to talk about some food plots um, and uh, keep thinking about some warmer springtime weather because it's got to come. I mean we're in the last week of February, you get to March and kind of take that turn and you, you hope that it's just uh, greener pastures and bluer skies from there. So uh, anything else you want to add before we get off here today, Tyler? Not that I can think of. Uh-huh. Just, uh, you know, make sure you uh, uh, comment, share, like uh, social media. Yep. Again, March 9th uh, and 10th. hashtag shed rally when that comes uh, March 9th and 10th, uh, and you can be entered uh, for some prizes uh, courtesy of whitetail properties. And I'm sure some of their sponsors as well. Uh, so. I think like a lot of those are uh, a lot of our sponsors are donating some stuff. I don't, I don't remember uh, what all, but uh, definitely worth your while to post a few pictures and doesn't cost uh, you anything. Nope. You know? Um, nope. so, uh, and you can also check out Whitetail Property social media accounts as well on Facebook or Instagram, YouTube. Uh, there will be some information there. So speaking of that, make sure you do check us out at DeerLandPodcast.com, uh, DeerLandPodcast on Facebook and Instagram uh, and YouTube as well. So we appreciate uh, you guys listening to us. If you have any comments or feedback, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And until then, we'll see you next time.